Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. We're thankful that you're here. We're going to talk about I am the resurrection and the life. This is the seventh in a series of I Am Statements of Jesus. So why don't we pray, Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us understand and hear what the Spirit is saying through the Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the backdrop of this story is that Jesus' friend Lazarus was sick. And instead of going right away, to heal him, as Jesus typically would do, he waited several days until he died. And we're going to pick up the story here uh, in John chapter 17, I'm sorry, chapter 11, verse 17. So we see, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Fast forward. Jesus came to the tomb, and it says in verse 34, he, he said, where have you laid him? Jesus wept when he saw everybody's sadness. And Jesus came to the tomb, and it, there was a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the, the, mother, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time, he stinks because he has been there for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, they cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus. He cried out, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And so we go back to uh, the beginning of the story here. And uh, we have to talk about the fact that he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And so we always have to prove a theory by its power. It doesn't matter how you talk. 
What matters is what kind of power you have behind your talk. We could judge every religion and every philosophy based on the power it has. Uh, you know, and so a religion does not prove its worth, its value, and its power just by giving you rules and regulations, just by telling you what to say. That doesn't prove anything. And so the difference between the Christian faith and every other religion and every other faith and every other philosophy and every other worldview is that in Christianity, the proof that it is real is that there is a historical resurrection. In other words, somebody named Jesus was dead and he said he was going to rise from the dead and he actually rose from the dead. And so he said it for years that he was going to rise from the dead. And that's the proof of Christianity. And we're going to get into how that relates to our experience with him. And so it's, it's like that in everything in life. There has to be some kind of proof, some kind of demonstration that what the religion or the philosophy or what someone is saying is true. Even in sports, you got a lot of people, you know, who talk trash. You know, they talk about how good they are. But really, it doesn't matter how much trash you talk. It matters about what you do on the court or on, in the field, right? So Michael Jordan was very famous for talking trash, but yet he proved everything he said. He backed it up. He became the greatest ball player of his era. So it doesn't matter what you say. You know, any religion could say you could bow down five times a day, you repeat this, uh, you believe this, but what's the proof of it? This side of heaven, what is the proof? So what was the proof of Christianity? Well, you have historically that there was a man named Jesus. Nobody of serious uh, scholarship doubts that there really was a Jesus who existed. Nobody doubts that he was crucified. There was many other writings outside of the Bible that verified that he existed. For example, there were Roman writers, historians, and philosophers who weren't even believers, like Tacitus, uh, Cicero, and others who wrote of Jesus and wrote that he existed. There was even a Jewish uh, historian named Josephus, or Josephus, who talked about a man named Christus, meaning Christ, who performed many miracles. He wasn't even a Christian, and he wrote of him around 30 or 40 years after Christ's crucifixion. We have many other historical proofs, but one of the greatest is the experiences of the apostles themselves. Peter, by all accounts, was a coward. Peter denied that Jesus was his friend. He denied that he followed Jesus three times in a row. When somebody accused him of being a follower of Christ, three different times Jesus, uh, Peter swore and said, I don't know the man. And he even cursed. He said, I don't know the man. He was afraid because he knew that if he identified with Jesus, he would have been put to death with Jesus. He wasn't ready for that. It's because it was before his resurrection. He wasn't sure who he was. And then you have the other apostles. They all fled. They all 
abandoned Jesus. And then you have someone by the name of Paul the Apostle. Who was Paul before he was a Christian preacher? Well, Paul was basically a religious extremist terrorist. As a member of the Jewish Pharisees, he put to death Christians. Church history tells us he was responsible for the death of about 3,000 Christians. What in the world turned that crazy man around when he was traveling to Damascus with orders from the high priest to put other Christians to death in Syria? Well, what happened? Well, he said that Jesus appeared to him on a road and told him, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. What happened to Paul, who wrote half the New Testament? What happened to Peter after denying Jesus less than two months later on the day of Pentecost, actually 40 days, uh, 50 days after Pen Passover, after Jesus was crucified? Peter was the first one to get up and preach that Jesus is truly Lord, that he is truly King of kings, God of gods. How did Peter get turned around? Because he must have seen something. He must have seen a true resurrected physical appearance of Jesus Christ. That's the only explanation we have. And then what happened to that tomb? There was a heavy stone in front of it. How did Jesus get out on his own? You needed several men to move it. What about the soldiers that were protecting it? The garrison of soldiers around that area as well, with explicit orders not to let anyone steal his body. What happened to those soldiers? How did that happen? And here's the biggest proof of the resurrection. Where is his body? They searched for his body. Nobody could ever find it. And believe me, there were, a, there were a lot of Jewish leaders who wanted to find that body. There were a lot of Roman leaders who crucified Jesus, including Pilate, who wanted that body found. Where is the body? There's no historical evidence of them ever finding a body. As a matter of fact, there isn't one serious scholar, there isn't one person that I've ever read about who ever believes or claims that they found his body. So how could that be possible if everybody was against him? Well, the only explanation is that he rose from the dead. Somebody say he rose. He rose from the dead and that the accounts of the Gospels are real. I've even read uh, some, some uh, so-called theologians and scholars who didn't believe in Christ, yet they would even say things like, Something must have happened. We can't explain it. We don't know what happened to the body. Incredible. And so here we are over 2,000 years later, and we're celebrating Jesus Christ. To me, the greatest proof of the resurrection is not just what happened 2,000 years ago. It's he still comes in our lives today. Every one of us who have become Christians have said that Jesus came inside of us. We weren't uh, converted by a man. We weren't uh, talked into it by some religious leader. We didn't just change our behavior. Something happened on the inside of us that changed our life. So let's go back to the story here. 
John 11, verse 17. Again, we're going to read parts of it. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. See, God waits until the last minute because he wants to get the glory. God doesn't answer prayer right away. God will allow us to get into a huge mess sometimes because every mess becomes our message. Every trial becomes a testimony. God allows you to be challenged so that you can understand the Christ is over every challenge and every possibility and every circumstance. And so he allows us to be in certain situations because he loves being glorified. If you could get yourself out of the messes you're in, then God isn't God, right? But even more importantly, wow, I'll tell you, Jesus Christ will not get you out of the mess you're in if you're astrayed from him, if you're estranged if you're not following him, or if you've stopped following him. He loves you so much, he's gonna allow you to get to be miserable, because he wants you to come back. He wants you to experience his love, the love of the Father. So Jesus waited four days, as he wanted it to be conclusive proof that this man was gonna be risen from the dead. He didn't want to come an hour or a day later because they could argue, well, he wasn't really dead. He was just unconscious. He was in a coma. He was asleep. He waited four days because he wanted to make sure it was conclusive. There's no way a man could survive in a tomb without oxygen in that kind of condition for four days. It says that Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother, and when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Wow. Powerful stuff. So Martha thought Jesus was talking about the last day judgment resurrection. When Jesus said he will rise again, she was thinking doctrinally. You know, all the Jews, like we do too as Christians, believe that there's going to be a judgment in the last day, at the final day of human history as we know it before eternity comes. And all the dead will rise, some to face eternal judgment and some to face eternal bliss. Jesus talked about that in John 5, 25, that all that are in their graves will hear his voice and they will rise and those who believed in him will experience eternal life. And so Martha was thinking, well, he's talking about the judgment of the last day. And she was just making it a doctrinal thing about the future, some kind of religious statement about the future. But then I love this. Jesus said, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection. In other words, the doctrine doesn't mean anything if it doesn't have power. As a matter of fact, 
The doctrine is me. I am what it's talking about. If it wasn't for me, nobody is going to rise. If it wasn't for me, nobody is going to be judged. If it wasn't for me, nobody would even be alive right now. So it's not a doctrine. Jesus did not teach us about the truth. As we found out last week, he is the truth. Jesus did not teach us the way. He is the way. It's through him. I am the door, he said. It's not about a religion. It's not about saying prayers. It's not about lighting candles. It's not about going to mass. It's not about saying a few little statements like the Apostles' Creed or praying five times a day like Islam. Jesus said, I am the way. And no one can come to God the Father except through him. In other words, if you don't go through the person of Jesus, you don't have God. So the truth is Jesus personified. It's not a book. The truth is a person. The way is a person. The door is a person. The life is a person. And now we're finding out the resurrection is a person. He's the only one. What Muhammad couldn't do, what no other God could do, Jesus is able to do, and he could still do it today. And so he said, I am the resurrection. It's not just some judgment in the future. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to take the future kingdom power, the power of the world to come, and I'm going to make it evident right now to show you that I am the one who gives you eternity. I am taking the power of heaven. I'm going to demonstrate it on the earth. I'm going to show you who is the king of kings. I'm going to show you who is the power over the prince of the power of the air. I'm going to show you who has the keys of, of hell and death. I'm going to show you who has the power over every governor, over every government, over every empire, over every kingdom. I'm going to show you who has the power over science, who has the power over the laws of nature, who has the power over atoms and subatomic physics and molecular structure. I'm going to show you who has the power of oxygen over air, over human anatomy. I'm going to show you who has the power of all biological life and all inanimate life and all spiritual reality. As the Bible says that even principalities and powers are subject to him and we are complete in him. I'm going to show you who the power is. I am the resurrection and the life. And then of course he said whoever lives and believes in me will never die. I love it. I love it. And so, what I want us to talk about is the three resurrections, so we understand what he means when he says, I am the resurrection. I alluded to it a little bit. First, what is real Christianity? Christianity is not about following rules and regulations, even though there are laws. We have the Ten Commandments, of course, we have that. But you could try to follow the Ten Commandments and still die and be without God for eternity. The, Ten the, the Christian faith that we follow is not about bad people becoming good. 
It's about dead people becoming alive. Big difference. You could become a better person just by going to AA or NA or thinking, practicing mindfulness and calm yourself down and transcendental meditation and, and certain things like that can make you be a little more peaceful. But if it doesn't deal with the heart, it doesn't change you. The Bible says that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. That we fell short of the glory of God. And because of that, the penalty of falling short of God's glory is death. And so in our human condition, the problem is not that we're psychologically raised wrong, although that could be an issue. The problem is we're born dead to God. Our conscience, our heart is separated from God from birth. And what Jesus is saying is, uh, I'm the resurrection, meaning what happens is when we come to Christ, God takes that hard, stony heart, and he turns it to a heart of flesh. He takes that broken, dead conscience that barely functions, and he makes us alive to God where we now are one with God. We're now in fellowship with God. That fellowship that was broken from the very beginning when the first man sinned against God and his posterity was born with that bloodline of sin and separation from God. From that point on, everybody needed a resurrection experience. I know that this is true because as a professional musician, I was on my way to making it really big I should have played in Madison Square Garden even as early as when I was 17, but God stopped it with some crazy events. I was on my way uh, making it really big. And let me tell you something, all the partying, all the friends, I had hundreds of people following me everywhere I went. I, could, I played so many different gigs. I had three different bands, had my own studio at the age of 16, constantly playing different things, traveling. And every night I'd come home. And I would say, and I'd look at the stars in the sky, and I'd say, there's got to be more to life than this. And I was empty. I was hungry. And I was thirsty. I said, there's got to be more to life than all of this, including music. And I thank God that one day, as a lost, broken young man of 19 in Washington, D.C., I prayed and I said, God, if you're real, please send someone now to talk to me. If this, this Christian stuff is real, I believe you will do that. I had faith in God. I didn't have faith in Christians. I didn't know if Christ rose. I didn't know if Christianity was real. I just knew God was real. So I said, God, if this stuff is real that my mother talks about, please someone send somebody now to talk to me. I waited 20 minutes. I looked at my watch. Nobody came. And I grabbed my bags. I was in a hotel. I was about to leave. And something inside of me said, go back to where you were praying. And I just, huh, okay. And I went back. And before I sat down in the same spot in the lobby in the hotel, a young man by the name of Michael Pieri came up. He was my height. He looked just like me. He was Hispanic. Michael Pieri came up to me and he said, do you know God? 
And I said, I don't know. He says, if you don't know, then you don't know him. I said, he said, come with me. I said, what, what, what do you mean? Where are we going? He said, I'm going to take you out for dinner and show you the way of salvation. I said, who sent you? He said, God sent me and told me to share the gospel with you. And I went. And that was January 10th, 1978, over dinner. He asked me to pray and ask Jesus in my life. I know he lives because from that moment on, I had peace for the first time. From that point on, I wasn't dead to God or separated. I started having a relationship with him. I started getting hungry. I started wanting to read the Bible. I used to make fun of people who read the Bible. I would read the Gospels. I'd say, spare me the agony. Put all the miracles on one page. It's so boring. Why do I got to read the same miracles over and over again and all the four Gospels? I couldn't understand it. I didn't like it. I used to actually brag about other books I read. But that day... I had a hunger to read the Bible. I said, what? Joe Matera wants to read the Bible? <laughs> I started laughing, so I got a Bible. And I actually liked it, and I started loving it. Next thing you know, I couldn't stop reading it. I was like devouring the Bible. And I realized the reason was because, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 2, 14, he said, the man without the Spirit thinks that things of the Spirit of God are foolishness to him. And I said, wow, I didn't have the Spirit. And the words of the Bible are spirit in life. And that's why I understood it. And so I know this first part of resurrection is true because he resurrected me. No man could have converted me. I was brought up in the Catholic Church. No man, no priest, no nun could convert me. One time I was in King's Plaza, I was shopping, and some Christian came up to me with a, with a piece of literature telling me, Jesus wants to save you, and I almost knocked him right out. I said, yo, leave me alone, I'm here to shop. If God wasn't real, believe me, I wouldn't be here. And I wouldn't have lasted 40, I think it's 42 years. And I remember going on the New York City subway trains after about six or eight months of getting saved and sharing my testimony. Say, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a religious guy, but I just want to tell you that Jesus came in my life and the power of God would fall on the trains. Many people get saved. Then I went on the Staten Island Ferry. I was just so blown away that Jesus is real that I couldn't stop talking about him. So I know, number one, the resurrection has to do with raising us up from our dead state, far away from God. Is that you today? The second resurrection, of course, means physical resurrections. Do you know that there's still people being raised from the dead today? It's not as common in America because as soon as someone dies, they take them, they exhume the body. I mean, it's a big hub to do, but in some developing countries... You know, they have the body there in its natural state for two or three days. There are people still being raised from the dead. There are so many accounts of it in Africa, in China, in different places. Uh, if you want to read about it, you know, Heidi Baker from Mozambique has raised the dead many times. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth has a book out called Ever Increasing Faith. He's raised about 11 people from the dead. He was a 48-year-old plumber who came to Christ. There are people physically raised from the dead. Jesus still does that. 
In our church, we've seen numerous miracles, incredible, spectacular miracles of healing, of people getting healed and answering prayer. And the third way he is the resurrection is there really is a judgment. One day, all of us will stand before God. And when you stand before God, Jesus will either be your Savior or your judge. Jesus said all, not some, who are in their graves will one day hear the voice of the Son of God. Some will be raised to a resurrection of judgment. Others to a resurrection of life. He also said in John 5, 24, that the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear shall live, and they will pass from death to life. Beloved, if you're here today, and you've never received Christ, don't wait until you die to try to receive him. It's too late then. You pass from death to life while you're alive physically. You've already been judged on the cross by Christ. His pain became your pleasure. His suffering became your freedom. God punish Jesus in your place so you won't have to be. So when you receive him, you've already been called not guilty for eternity. You already will be, you already have eternal life now. I know when I die, I'm going to heaven because I'm already walking with God. I know I have eternal life. You can know that too. And so for this third resurrection, are you ready? Are you ready to stand before God? Let's pray for a minute. Let's bow our heads. Father, we pray that every person would be ready. That not one person would be lost. That not one person would be left out watching all of us in that eternal life party and feast with all the prophets and the apostles and the saints of old. That they wouldn't be on the outside looking in, wishing they had made that decision, separate from God for eternity. Oh God, we pray that before everybody leaves, that they will experience personal resurrection that Jesus Christ will come in their life as he came in mine and save them and forgive them. While every head is bowed, every eye closed, is there anyone who would say, Pastor, please pray for me. I want to know Jesus. I want to be resurrected. If that's you, if you want to receive Christ, let me see a hand. Anybody here? We want to make sure you're ready. God bless you, Ziggy. Anybody else? Anybody else? Why don't we all stand? If there's anybody here who would say, I want prayer. I want to 
And, and here's another one. Maybe you've received Christ, but you have walked away. Maybe you've strayed from him, and you want to recommit yourself on Resurrection Sunday. We believe in God that many people who have strayed, many people who kind of went their own way because of COVID, maybe you haven't been coming to church. It's been hard to connect to God. You want to reconnect with God. You want to make that new dedication. If that's you, you could just come up here, and we're going to pray for you. Anybody, you're welcome to come up. God bless. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that resurrection from the dead. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you that you've given us eternal life. Thank you that you said that the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That one day we, as Christians, heard your voice. We received you. And now we're alive together with Christ. For grace, by grace we have been saved. It's not of works, lest the cross of Christ is of no effect. It's not by our own goodness or effort. You don't make bad people good. You make dead people alive. And we're grateful for being part of that resurrection. And Father, we pray today on Easter Resurrection Sunday that you would help us walk in that power, that resurrection, and even be that light to our friends and our family later on. The worship team is going to minister, and then we're going to close the service. We love you. We thank God for you. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at reschurchnyc. Take care and God bless.